You are entering the Freedom Hut. A bombshell report in the New York Times that makes quite clear that there was spying against the Trump campaign using a human asset to get close to George Papadopoulos, just like the guy told us last week, my friends. We'll get into that, and also, they went after Barr again today, and he swatted them away. But now they're trying to double down with their lies. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Really lost sleep last night after watching over and over again the testimony of the Attorney General of the United States. How sad it is. How sad it is for us to see the top law enforcement officer in our country misrepresenting, withholding the truth from the Congress of the United States. He lied to Congress. He lied to Congress. If anybody else did that, it would be considered a crime. Uh, Nobody is above the law, not the President of the United States and not the Attorney General. Being the Attorney General does not give you uh, a bath to go say whatever you want, and it is the fact because you are the Attorney General. It just isn't true. Should he go to jail for it? There's a process involved here, and as I said, the committee will act upon how we will proceed. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Barr up on Capitol Hill day two actually didn't show up for it, but they wanted him to. Nancy Pelosi is a disgrace. She's a dishonorable person. She's a liar. She's a snake. She is not somebody that anybody should have to take seriously or listen to. But she's the best the Democrats have got, I suppose. So we're supposed to show her all kinds of respect. Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi saying that Barr lied. You'll notice, she doesn't say what he lied about. Why can't we know, Nancy? How did he lie? What's the lie? Should he go to prison? Now the Attorney General? Bob Barr, I'm sorry, I keep doing that. Bill Barr, Bob Barr's a different guy. Bill Barr crushed intellectually, ethically, crushed the Democrats yesterday. I mean, he was laying waste to their pathetic partisan jabs. He was just swatting them aside like the spoiled, whiny children the Democrats in Congress are. And now today, they've continued with this effort, this widespread campaign of defamation against him. And it is just completely and utterly unacceptable. What they're trying to do to Barr is what they've tried to do to so many other people that they don't agree with politically, and that is destroy them. Don't win the American people to your side. Don't make your best case and let the chips fall where they may. Destroy your competition. Lie about them. Slander them. Spy on them. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to what happened with George Papadopoulos. New York Times, big story today. Remember how I had George on last week for an hour? There was a reason for that, folks. The reason we walked through all of George Papadopoulos' story here on the show, because the Inspector General report that's going to come out in the next 60 days 
is going to rock the Democrat Party to its foundations. They're going to say it's not a big deal, but to anyone with an IQ above single digits, it will be obvious what happened, which is that the Democrat Party, the deep state apparatus, the Hillary Clinton campaign, were all in cahoots to run a conspiracy theory through the intelligence community, and it all got started because a few Hillary partisans in the deep state, in the federal government, decided to spy on a presidential campaign. That is what they did. We'll, we'll get into the specifics of it. They're not going to be able to run from the truth forever. And there's a, there's a little bit of the hysteria right now that I think you can attribute to the fact that they know that they're not going to be able to continue with this. They know they're not going to be able to evade accountability forever. And while, unfortunately, a good portion of America is so brainwashed by Democratic propaganda, has become so incapable of independent thought because of the cultural lock that the left has on the minds of the coasts, in particular, that it won't matter what comes out. It won't matter if we have struck in an email over at the FBI saying, whatever we have to do to take down Trump, that's what we're going to do. They don't. I mean, he's already essentially said that. It doesn't even matter at this point. They'll just say, well, the FBI was really worried. So we shouldn't we shouldn't second guess them. Meanwhile, the Democrats second guess law enforcement all the time. Just now the FBI is beyond reproach. Isn't that convenient? Isn't isn't that all of a sudden very, very helpful to their purposes? But I, I want to let me let me pause on that Papadopoulos story for a moment. Get back to what Nancy Pelosi's done here. Nancy Pelosi is sliming and she knows she I mean she's a liar. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is a so-called Catholic who is an abortion extremist as a politician at the national level and should be excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Maybe that's a conversation we could have another day. That's right, she should be. But Nancy Pelosi is out there saying that he lied and, and is essentially calling Barr a, a criminal. That's what happens. When you're, when you're able to dismantle deftly and skillfully the arguments of your political opponents the way that Barr did, and now you can say, Buck, but he's not, they're not supposed to be political opposition. They make themselves the political opposition because an attorney general in the Trump administration who does not give the left what they want, which is either throw, throw the Trump administration under the bus or stand aside while someone else does it, that's, that's the Jeff Sessions routine, allow yourself to get bullied into not, doing what you need to do to defend the rule of law, never mind to defend the president. You know, uh, with, with all the things that are going on now, with all the things that are happening, you, you would think, you would think that Democrats would, would at least make some effort at something other than sliming and undermining. And, you know, they, they do something. They take some action at, if not self-reflection, at least, you know, uh, give some credit where it's due. These people are crazy. They're saying that Barr's involved in a cover-up. He's involved in the opposite of a cover-up. He released as much of the report as he possibly, theoretically, could. 
He could have kept the whole thing under wraps. They're accusing him of a cover-up because he released a summary that accurately described the end results of the investigation. And yet, now they're saying that he's the bad guy. Now they're saying that, you know, he's somebody who shouldn't even have a law license, maybe should go to prison. This is insane. The Democrats have lost it. They have absolutely lost it. And Nancy Pelosi is just symptomatic of this. I mean, she's leading the charge right now, saying that he's a liar, saying that maybe he should go to prison. Barr's a top legal mind. A top legal mind. An ethical, good guy. But the Democrats, their ferocity when it comes to hatred of Trump just blinds them to everything else. These are the people that have been lecturing us for two years about undermining our institutions, the sanctity of our democracy, blah, 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 FBI, DOJ. We need to have public faith in these institutions. And then you've got an attorney general that's being called this effectively a criminal. They're saying that he's too chicken to stand in front of Congress. He sat with Congress for six hours yesterday. Just hearing stupid, stupid question after stupid question from Democrats, really speeches. I mean, typified by Maisie Hirono, not just one of the dumbest people in Congress, one of the dumbest people that I've heard say anything in a very long time. But we're supposed to take them seriously. Now, we, we think that they're the, they're the guardians of the republic. They're the ones that are looking for the truth here, looking for answers. We've skipped way past Russia collusion. We've skipped way past, you know, the, the president's a traitor. Now it's now it's Barr that's on the hot seat for them. Now he's the one that must be destroyed. It's not about making their case. It's not about their position or what they'd like the American people to know. It's let's ruin this person. That is what they do. Search and destroy missions for anyone who stands in the way of their power. And Pelosi should be ashamed of herself. Ashamed of herself. And this, this is just pathetic, these arguments that I'm seeing from Democrats in the media and on Capitol Hill, that Barr is, you know, he's doing the president's bidding and all this. He's acting like the president's lawyer. He's just answering their questions, giving them his, his legal opinions. He's released the full report. They're so stupid and crazy that they think that they're going to they're going to be able to cling to this narrative that the guy who's showing them everything is somehow hiding things. And this is after the Trump administration gave unbelievable cooperation in this Mueller probe. We know Mueller was a partisan out to get Trump from day one. There's no there's no serious person that thinks otherwise now. The way he handled this investigation at the end just shows us this. The leak of the letter right before Barr goes on Capitol Hill. I mean, this is proof. This is all the proof that we need. It's all the proof that a normal person trying to think through these issues would need. But remember what we've been saying here. Remember a recurring theme here on the Buck Sexton Show. Trump broke them. He has broken psychologically, emotionally, dare I say spiritually. He has broken the Democrats. They don't know what to do with themselves now. They're not as... As, as smart and beloved by the American people and wise and, and the, the, the march of their ideas will not go forth without any opposition. That's not reality, and they can't handle it. They assured themselves he would never be president, and then they assured themselves they could end his presidency. And now they realize they probably can't even stop 
four more years of his presidency. And they're panicking. They're panicking. They've destroyed whatever credibility they have as public servants. I don't even like to use the term, but they've destroyed whatever integrity they're supposed to show in their elected offices. The media has beclowned and debased itself in this whole Russia collusion mess. The tortured legal analysis you hear from people about obstruction, this isn't that hard, folks. If he obstructed, he would have had to obstruct. He didn't obstruct anything. People who say otherwise don't know what the heck they're talking about. We'll get into some of Barr's analysis of this, too. And then, you know, there's there's this assault on Barr today. And then I want to move to, oh, there's the Papadopoulos story. In the New York Times today, they are trying. This is a leak. This is a leak from somebody who is trying to help the left-wing media get ahead of what is going to be a very damaging Inspector General report in the FBI that's going to show that the fix was in. That the real malfeasance, the real wrongdoing here wasn't Trump and Trump's people. It was though it was those individuals who were trying to stop Trump and trying to take him down once he had won the presidency. That's where we are. And you want to talk about things that are going to really rattle the cages of the left. I, mean, I don't know how they're going to handle that once that truth gets out. They're going to try to come up with any number of different ways to justify it, to spin it, but it won't work because the facts are what they are. More on this team and a whole lot more coming up. Stay with me. In the situation of the president who has constitutional authority to superintendents, if in fact a proceeding was not well-founded, if it was a groundless proceeding, if it was based on false allegations, the president does not have to sit there constitutionally and allow it to run its course. The president could terminate that proceeding and it would not be a corrupt intent because he was being falsely accused and he would be worried about the impact on his administration. That's important because most of the obstruction claims that are being made here or, or episodes do involve the exercise of the president's constitutional authority. And we now know that he was being falsely accused. Boom. Barr takes the Democrats to the woodshed, gives them a spanking. Just to be clear on what he said there. This is the attorney general who was formerly in the Office of Legal Counsel of the DOJ, also formerly the Attorney General before this time around, a guy who knows this stuff backwards and forwards, saying that the President of the United States, exercising his constitutional authority, if he did, which he did not even do in this case, but if he did exercise constitutional authority as President to shut down an investigation that was a based on a false allegation, which is what the investigation did find and is the truth, that is not by its very nature, by definition, that is not corrupt intent. That is actually doing the country a service. So all this stuff that, you know, Mueller has about, you know, the process, the process, the 10 different things here and there. He said this, he said that doesn't matter. Doesn't even matter. I mean, there are multiple layers of defense. You want to know why Bob Mueller didn't say he'd bring charges? Because Bob Mueller always wanted this to just be a political fight on Capitol Hill. He wanted this to turn in to an impeachment 
an impeachment blueprint, which is exactly what he handed the Democrats on Capitol Hill. That's what this that's what this was all about all along. There was nothing stopping him, stopping Mueller from saying that the president should be charged. He did not say if he said the president should be charged, he would have had to pick a specific instance, wouldn't he? He'd have to say he's going to be charged for this thing. What's he going to pick, folks? He lays out all these 10 things that are meant to really just be oppo research, meant to look bad for the president. But nothing, nothing he can point to that is a true action, that is a decision that the president of the United States made that could reasonably be described as obstruction. Which one of the 10 would it be, Mueller? Which one would you pick? The time where he said maybe we should do this thing and then didn't do it? The time when he said, I think I'm going to shut down the investigation and didn't do it? That's obstruction now? Mueller didn't have the goods. He didn't have the goods because the president didn't commit a crime. The president sat back and allowed this process to play out. Barr shared the memo with all these different, not just well members of Congress, with the American people. And now they're just saying whatever they want to say The Democrats are coming at him with all this just crazy nonsense because they can't handle it. They've lost. It's over. The Democrats, they lost on this one. And I'm at a point now where I just want to say, you know what? Bring it. You know, be be a man and woman, whatever, Democrats. Have the courage of your convictions. Impeach this president. Bring it. Let's see what you got. They're not even they're not even honest enough about how they feel and courageous enough about their positions that they will impeach this president right now. The only thing that holds them back is they wonder if it's going to blow back on them. So they want to keep talking about it because they view it as negative for the president. Just keep it alive. Keep talking about it. No, no, no. This is about defending our republic, right? This is about saving the country from Trump. Impeach the president, Democrats. Let's see what you got. Put your cards on the table. Why won't you? I thought you were going to save the country, Democrats. I thought this was all about America and the Republican and our democracy. Oh, it's really just about petty partisan politics? No one is shocked by that. The Democrats are a disgrace. After a childhood full of unsuccessful attempts to pull the wool over mom's eyes, do you really think she won't be able to tell the difference between a last-minute mother's gift and something truly thoughtful? This Mother's Day, don't settle for anything less than the biggest and brightest bouquets from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers has amazing offers on beautiful Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99. With an amazing selection of sweet treats and bouquets, 1-800-Flowers has everything you need for Mother's Day. She'll never guess how great of a last-minute deal you scored. Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99 is an amazing offer, but you have to order today. So make sure you lock in this offer. Only good while supplies last. To order beautiful and vibrant Mother's Day bouquets starting at $29.99, it's a great deal. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. Order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. One more time, 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. 
I guess they want to treat him differently than they have anybody else. And uh, for many, many years, they've never done it this way, where they're bringing in outside counsel or something. And that's not the way. You know, you elect people, they're supposed to be able to do their own talking. But he did a fantastic job today, I'm told. I got to see some of it. He did a fantastic job. And it's all a big hoax, this whole thing with Russia. It turned out there is no collusion. There is no obstruction. So you have Bill Barr, highly respected, great attorney general, and he's got to take the abuse from people that are running for office. They don't care about this. They're just looking for <laughs> political points. And I really think that the American people see through it. I hope the American people see through it. It is a circus. Uh, Democrats are, are a joke. Not a very funny one, but a joke. The problem today was that they wanted to have outside counsel. They want to bring in lawyers from the outside to question the attorney general. Now, why would they do that, you may ask? Why would they want to bring... These are mostly lawyers themselves, so start with that. Most of the members of Congress that are on this committee uh, are, are lawyers. Not very good ones, but they're lawyers. Why do they want to bring somebody else in? Oh, that's right, because it creates a perception. This is all about the optics, all about the way this looks to the outside world. Creates a perception that Barr is almost a, a defendant in a criminal trial. You're, you're going to bring people in that are going to cross-examine the witness, or in this case, the defendant. That's what they want. It's too obvious when you have the likes of Maisie Hirono uh, engaged in grandstanding and buffoonery. It's too obvious. I mean, we know what she's all about. She's trying to just get some points with her left-wing base. But you bring in today in the in the house and the and the house side of the equation you bring in some outside lawyers and it looks like ooh why wow, these lawyers are really having to push the attorney general why is the attorney general so defensive when being asked by these professional lawyers who are not politicians it's all this is all they're playing games folks they're playing games and you've got Nadler who you know this guy there's there's snakes these people are not Men and women of honor, these Democrats, have no integrity, no decency in the way they're conducting themselves. Nadler said this about how Barr—look, the Attorney General of the United States is not going to sit there and be cross-examined by a bunch of outside lawyers after sitting for six hours yesterday with members of the Senate committee. Now he's going to sit with members of the House committee? Uh, and not even them, he's going to sit with lawyers that they bring in, hired guns from the outside? What is this? Well, what's next? They're going to make Barr sit in a dunk tank and they're going to, you know, they're going to they're going to throw tomatoes and see if they can make them fall in the water. But no, this is this is what Nadler says. Play four. I will now recognize myself for an opening statement. Attorney General Barr has informed us that he will not appear today. Although we worked to accommodate his concerns, he objects to the prospect of answering questions by staff counsel and to the possibility that we may go into executive session to discuss certain sensitive topics. Given the Attorney General's lack of candor before other congressional committees, I believe my colleagues and I were right to insist on the extended questioning. But even if Democrats and Republicans disagree on the format of this hearing, we must come together to protect the integrity of this chamber. The administration may not dictate the terms of a hearing in this hearing room. The challenge we face is bigger than a single witness. Bigger than a single witness, he says, huh? Just just by way of of reminder, 
You know what? What was yesterday's hearing like? Just, just here, here's a here's a quick. You know, today they're all upset because oh, you know, Barr is not. He, all he does is answer questions. He's had full transparency with the Mueller report. He's put himself through all these stupid questions from stupid members of Congress. And just, just to just to bring us to down to earth here, have a little reality check. This is what it sound. This is what it was like yesterday when Barr was sitting there getting all kinds of nonsense thrown his way by these these partisan Democrats. Play two. Do you expect to change your mind about the bottom line conclusions of the Mueller report? No. Do you know Bob Mueller? Yes. Do you trust him? Yes. May we have those notes? No. Why not? Why should you have them? You still have a situation where a president essentially tries to change the lawyer's account in order to prevent further criticism of himself. Well, that's not a crime. Please, Mr. Attorney General, you know, give us some credit for knowing what the hell is going on around here with you. Not really. To this line of questioning. So, we're gonna, we're gonna, listen, you've slandered this man. Yeah, what I sort of want to know is how do we get how do we get to this point? Yeah, I do not think so, that how do we get to the point anyone? Where yes, she was. They were all slandering him. There's a reason for this, not just because they hate him because he's so effective, because he's crushing them like the fools they are in front of anyone in America who's actually watching watching these hearings. But they need to undermine it because they have a formidable adversary in bar and they have an inspector general report looming that is going to that is going to make the Democrats look even dumber and show us just how far the rot of this Spygate nonsense had spread, how high up the chain in the Obama administration Spygate went, and the degree of abuse of power, abuse of some of the most sensitive authorities that the United States government has under the Obama administration, what really occurred here. So they need to try to convince some people, as many as they can, that Barr is bad, he's Trump's lawyer, he's not really a good attorney general. He should resign, they say. He should be fired from his job. The guy's already been attorney general once, and now they think that he's not not qualified this time around? Uh, this, is, this is stunning stupidity from Democrats. Although you had uh, Representative Steve Cohen today who has said, I've interviewed him before, he says crazy stuff all the time. He showed up carrying a plastic chicken into Capitol Hill today. And the whole idea being that Barr is a chicken because he won't show up and answer questions from staff counsel. Not even from, why are congressmen chicken to ask Barr the questions themselves? Why do they bring in staff counsel? They have staffs writing the questions for them anyway. They, they can't do this themselves? Oh, we all know why. Because they want to make it look like Barr is a defendant in a criminal trial. That's what this is supposed to be about. And Cohen, I think he also showed up. Mike, did he have a did Cohen show up with like a bucket of chicken that he was eating too, right? Wasn't he? Oh yeah, he had a bucket of KFC on the floor. What what it what an imbecile. Yeah, he brought the circus there. Yeah, he did. He he, he turned the he turned the circus dial up to eleven. Play clip eleven. We are looking at images of you at that committee hearing today with what appears to be a bucket of fried chicken. And, oh, there it is. You brought props, I see, with you here. What is the message you're trying to send? The message is that Bill Barr is a chicken. He was chicken to come to the House Judiciary Committee. 
face the members of the committee and also face 30 minutes from counsel that would have been difficult for him to, to respond to because he stands on shaky ground. His legal premises are very, very obscure and rare and questionable, and his facts are false. He lies, he tries to defend the president at all costs, and he did not want to go again as he did before the Senate and be exposed as a liar and a fixer and a cover-up for Donald Trump. It's just all accusations. It's all... He's bad. He's a stupid face. I don't like Barr. Bad man. No specifics here. Uh, what What is the legal theory that he has that's so obscure, Steve? Cohen is just he's just making it up as he goes along. We we know we all know this. What is the What is the area of of dishonesty that they've identified with Barr? I mean, I hear people mumbling about how he said he talked to Mueller about something one day, but maybe he talked about it another day. I mean, this is really now. This is at the. He said he had cornflakes last Tuesday, but really he had cornflakes last Monday. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But they're just looking for something. They're, they're trying to find some underlying justification to call him a liar and maybe even say that he should be criminally prosecuted. These people are completely nuts. Look, I have zero respect for these Democrats in Congress that are doing this. None. It's not that I think that they have good ideas and we disagree. They are being dishonorable, disreputable, bad people in this process. They should feel shame. They should feel embarrassed for what they are doing, but they don't. They don't because there's a purpose to it all. The purpose was hinted at today by Lindsey Graham talking about the FISA process and how all this, how did we get to this point? Why are we even talking about obstruction? Why are we talking about the Russia investigation that went on for two years. What got this whole thing going? We don't have answers about that. And we should. This should be so simple, right? This should be so straightforward. We've had we've had all this investigation and transparency and all these lawyers and millions, tens of millions of dollars spent trying to get answers. Why don't we have more answers here? Lindsey Graham brought up the FISA process, brought up the way that the dirty dossier was laundered through the intelligence community. They acted like it was something worthy, not just of attention, but of action. Stunning that they would do that without verifying this. Um, But here's what Lindsey Graham said about it. Play clip 12. The Mueller report is put to bed, and it soon will be. This committee is going to look long and hard at how this all started. We're going to look at the FISA warrant process. Did Russia provide Christopher Steele the information about Trump that turned out to be garbage that was used to get a warrant on an American system, citizen? And if so, how did the system fail? Mm. Yes, how did the system fail? Who made the system fail? Who of the names we know, Comey, McCabe, Brennan, Strzok, Page, Lisa, not Carter. Who was engaged in the abuse of their power to change a presidential election? That's why they're attacking Barr, because he's going to get some of those answers. And we're going to find out pretty soon. And he's not scared. They can't shake him down. He's not going to back off the word spying, because spying is what they did. Speaking of that spying, George Papadopoulos, big story today in the New York Times. 
Oh, turns out they were very much spying on him. We'll get into that in just a moment. When did the DOJ and the FBI, if you know, when did the DOJ and the FBI know that the Democratic Party paid for Christopher Steele's dossier, which then served as the foundation for the Carter Page FISA application? I don't know the answer to that. Are you investigating to determine that? Yes. Did the Department of Justice, the FBI, and other federal agencies engage in investigative activities before an official investigation was launched in July 2016? I don't know the answer to that, but that's one of the... Uh, You're also investigating yes. that. All right. Thank you very much, Attorney General. That's what has Democrats on edge. How this all gets started. How did the lie, how did the dirty dossier, how did the conspiracy theory about Russia-Trump collusion get so far, so fast, and become the primary weapon of opposition that the Democrat left wielded against this president for over two years? Those are questions we need some answers to, my friends. And they're trying to get ahead of this to soften the blow to the Democrat credibility here with stories like this one that just came out today. FBI sent investigator posing as assistant to meet with Trump aide in 2016. Oh, that's right. The conversation at a London bar in September 2016 took a strange turn when the woman sitting across from George Papadopoulos, a Trump campaign advisor, asked a direct question. Was the Trump campaign working with Russia? The woman had set up the meeting to discuss foreign policy issues, but she was actually a government investigator posing as a research assistant, according to people familiar with the operation. The FBI sent her to London as part of the counterintelligence inquiry opened that summer to better understand the Trump campaign's link to, links to Russia. The American government's affiliation with the woman who said her name was Azra Turk is one previously unreported detail of an operation that has become a political flashpoint in the face of accusations by President Trump and his allies that American law enforcement and intelligence officials spied on his campaign to undermine his electoral chances. Last year, he called it Spygate. Uh, it's not an accusation, it's a fact. Trump is right. He's been right about this all along. The Democrats did spy on the Trump campaign. Anti-Trump forces in the FBI and the DOJ spied on the Trump campaign. This happened. The Obama administration, remember, these people, people like Comey and they are appointees of the Obama administration. They're in the executive branch chain of command under Obama. He is responsible for their decision-making. The buck stops with him. I know, kind of weird whenever I say that. And there was spying. They, they call this person, I just love the way, a government investigator posing as a research assistant. You know what I'd call that? Human intelligence collection. Spying. I used to work for a spy agency. This is spying, folks. This is the infiltration of a human asset overseas to try and entrap a member of the Trump campaign to bring down President Trump's election chances. That's what this was, to destroy his election campaign. All as part of a counterintelligence investigation that never should have started in the first place. They spied. 
What's the justification for this going to be? How are they going to look the American people in the eye at the DOJ or the FBI after this and say that they're not a complete and utter sham when what we find out is that the dossier was basically the whole story here? That the dossier was what justified the FISA warrants? And what if we find out that there was more than just the FISA warrants that have already been reported? What were they really doing when it came to General Flynn? How much surveillance was General Flynn under? And why? What other human assets, spies, were deployed against the Trump campaign? And what was the pretext that they used? How much entrapment did the FBI engage in? By the way, do we think the FBI was the only agency involved here? Were there foreign intelligence agencies involved? These are questions, my friends, that are going to have explosive answers. And you know what? Bill Barr is going to get them for us. And that's why they hate him so much. That's why they're doing everything they can to undermine him. But you know what? He's going to crush these lives. You watch. Social media bans now include Alex Jones, Louis Farrakhan, and Milo Yiannopoulos. Facebook has permanently banned those three individuals as of today. This is this is noteworthy, my friends. Let's let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, let me just first note that the Washington Post referred to Louis Far- Farrakhan as a far right figure at one point, which was that was fascinating. That was quite a pill to swallow. Uh, but here's the story today as we dig into these details. Let me just lay this out for you. This one from the New York Times. Facebook on uh, earlier today said it had barred Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist and founder of InfoWars, and other right-wing personalities from its service in an escalation of enforcement of its content policies. Wow, okay, so New York Times still says Louis Farrakhan's right-wing, I guess. The other banned people include Louis Farrakhan, the outspoken black nationalist minister who has been frequently criticized for his anti-Semitic remarks, Milo Yiannopoulos, the provocateur and far-right media personality, and other less prominent but still controversial figures like Laura Loomer, Paul Joseph Watson, and Paul Nalen. The company said they were barred from using Facebook and Instagram under Facebook's policies against dangerous individuals and organizations. Dangerous? I mean, Louis Farrakhan is a hate monger. I, I, you know, I, you could argue he's dangerous. Is is my? I know that the title of his very bad book was dangerous, but is Milo Yiannopoulos dangerous? We've had Milo on the show in the past. Is it is it dangerous when Milo says that a lot of radical feminists are just deeply unhappy man haters? Well, maybe it's dangerous in the sense that it hurts people's feelings, but it's also true. So is the truth now dangerous? Is, is, the, is the truth something that is not a defense when it comes to social media bans and, and blacklisting? I don't know enough about uh, Paul Joseph Watson or Paul Nalen to really... Mike, do you know, though? Do you know any... I mean, isn't Joseph Watson... The, he's an InfoWars guy, right? I believe so, but I'm not real familiar. Yeah, I don't... Who's Paul... I don't even know who Paul Nalen is. Do you know who Paul Nalen is? No, I'm checking him out now. Bad. See, some of these guys, like the best thing that can happen to them is, oh, no, he is a he is a white supremacist. OK, so he's a bad guy. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was. 
Um, but, you know, Milo, why is he banned? What is it about Milo? You know, look, I'm not saying that I agree with Milo or I even I like what Milo does or anything else, but banned from Facebook, banned from Instagram. Look, this is a reminder, folks, that these these social media platforms are now operating as the new version of the mainstream media monopoly of old. You know, you had this you had this monopoly of the broadcast networks and the cable channels until Fox came along of the major newsrooms. So you had newspapers and cable. The only real uh, piercing of this monopoly came from talk radio. And, you know, thank you, El Rushbo and some of the others that came after him for having some alternate voice out there other than just what we're being spoon fed by the corporate left media. And but then with the Internet and Fox News, it really came around the same time. Isn't that interesting? You know, Fox News started, I think, in 1996. And, uh, you know, the Internet obviously is older than that, but it wasn't really, you know, you weren't getting all of your news in the 90s from the web. There were still a lot of folks who were really dependent on newspapers. But you think of the information platform dominance that these different uh, these different news outlets had. And it's astonishing that anybody was conservative. It's astonishing that uh, that anyone is was conservative in America, given how much the left was able to control the narrative. Then the Internet comes along. Internet comes along, and now you have bloggers, you have Drudge Report, you have all these different conservative sites, places that I've worked at, like The Blaze, that pop up and in relatively short periods of time end up getting tens of millions of, uh, of readers. And it feels like there's this democratization of the debate that everybody can have a voice now, that the audience determines what's, what gets read, that the best ideas will win, that we have a true marketplace of ideas. That was the Internet 15 years ago. Now what we see is, well, there's been this massive um, consolidation of power and of these platforms like Facebook and Instagram, and they are private companies, and they come from Silicon Valley, which is overwhelmingly not just Democrat, but progressive left. I mean, Silicon Valley, and I, I know folks who work, I have friends who are high up, actually, in some, Silicon, some big Silicon Valley companies, and I don't ever name them or talk about them because they're private citizens, and I would never want them to get in trouble for being friends with the likes of me. But uh, I, I hear stuff. I mean, when James Damore got run out of Google for asking questions that some people didn't want to get asked, uh, or you know, bringing up some ideas that people didn't want brought up, like Google is an, you know, Google's response to, hey, this is an ideological echo chamber, is you can't say that, you're out. Without any irony, they do these things. But the uh, Silicon Valley ethos is far to the left of, the rest of America. I mean, the, the Silicon Valley is as progressive, but really, I think, more progressive in many ways than what you'd find even in, a, in a, a major newsroom, a place like the New York Times, the Washington Post. But the control that they have now shifts the debate in so many ways. And this is something that we're going to have to come up with a, an answer to. Because this, right, right now, they start with, you know, Laura Loomer and Paul Joseph Watson and, and uh, Milo Yiannopoulos you know, they start with these people that, you know, uh, 
are, are controversial to be sure. Some of them, I mean, I didn't know who Paul Nalen was until now. Some of them are actually, you know, scum, not, not, not good people that are pushing very bad ideas. But if they can ban Alex Jones, and th this is not a, just a, a lazy, slippery slope argument. This is real. I mean, if they can ban Alex Jones, they can ban any conservative that's on the wrong side of an issue. I mean, how long is it? I asked this question honestly. How long is it before someone like me could be banned from a social media platform for refusing to use a female pronoun for a biological male? I think you probably would get banned right now, actually. Uh, you know, how long is it before having a, a history of speaking about transgender rights in a way that upsets the left makes you really a, a digital untouchable? You're no longer able to use any of the major social media platforms to get your message out, to share your ideas. Uh, we, we may already be there. And as much as I hate the idea of turning someone like Alex Jones into a First Amendment martyr, this is the direction we're heading in. Now, this is what's going to happen. And, and you know, once again, I, I just wish that conservatives, could we have one social media platform that's not all about wokeness and social justice? Could, could we just create one platform or have just uh, an even playing field would be nice. You know, we, we don't have to be in a situation where we have the scale tilted toward us. I just would like to be in a place where we don't have the scale tilted toward them. That would be a major improvement. That would be greatly uh, appreciated. But we're not there. We're not there. And banning, banning these people is, is just the start. You know, and if you're off Facebook and Instagram these days in the media world, in the information battle, you are at a massive disadvantage. Uh, you're at a massive disadvantage. I mean, conservatives, it's just a matter of time before you're going to see some mainstream conservatives, not Alex Joneses, not Miley Yiannopoulos, people that, that I would come on air and say, I respect that person. That person's smart. They're already banned from college campuses in some places. How long do you think it is before they're banned from the social media platforms? The left can't win the debate. That's why they don't like debating. That's why they always want to shut it down. They want to have their safe spaces and their trigger warnings. Uh, they don't want the exchange of ideas to occur. And they're finding as many ways as they can to make sure that it does not occur. And this is yet another instance of how the left will cheat in order to win in the war of ideas. They don't care that it wasn't a fair fight. They never wanted it to be a fair fight. They're going to have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And I, for a lot of you who are on social media, you may not care all that much about this. You may say, Buck, I'm not, I don't even have social media accounts, but... This is how everyone's communicating. This is, this is the way it's going to be going forward. This is where people get their news. This is the new cable network. This is the new printing press. And the left has seized control of it. And we need to find a way to wrest at least some control back or else our ideas are going to get suppressed. And then we're doomed. The left has collected another scalp, my friends. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for us to wake up and start rallying around our own, start defending those who are trying to carry on with the uh, with the conservative agenda, with the Trump agenda. But Stephen Moore, a guy I've uh, interviewed many times, I believe I've had him on radio a number of times, has uh, withdrawn from consideration to be on the Federal Reserve Board. 
He uh, put out a letter today. Mr. President, I was honored and grateful that you asked me to serve on the Federal Reserve Board. Your economic policies have been a spectacular success for American workers. Record low unemployment, 3.2% growth, 7 million job openings, and a near 40% rise in the stock market with five quarters now of 3% economic growth, something your critics said could never happen. Trumponomics has been vindicated. Your confidence in me makes what I'm about to say much harder. I am respectfully asking that you withdraw my name from consideration. The unrelenting attacks on my character have become untenable for me and my family, and three more months of this would be too hard on us. With greatest regards and respect, Stephen Moore. Uh, this is this is a this is a complete and utter disgrace. Uh, that Stephen Moore has been chased out of contention here for this job just because of the. It was a, a CNN investigative journalist, I think, got this whole snowball rolling, and now there's more and more and more. And people say, oh, he's bashing women, and he's uh, got these really controversial opinions. I mean, look, I can't speak for everything that he's ever written, um, but I read a lot of what he's being criticized for, and not only is it not beyond the pale or, or cr- crossing the line, a lot of it's very sensible. The left is angry at him because he thinks that all this focus on gender pay equity doesn't take into account that men overwhelmingly are the breadwinners in most American families. And there is a real social cost to having men not earn enough money, especially not to earn enough money to be in a breadwinner role. And just for bringing that up, it's a completely serious point. And, you know, social scientists, which there's really no such thing, but that's what people call them. You know, people can disagree about this, but there's nothing unacceptable about this uh, idea, or there shouldn't be, but the the left is radical. The left can't grapple with ideas that they don't like. They just want to censor. They want to shut down. They want to tell people that they can't think things. They can't say things in a... September, I'm trying to find some of the ones here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, On female athletes, he wrote a National Review in 2000, quote, the women tennis pros don't really want equal pay for equal work. They want equal pay for inferior work. There's a very practical reason why Pete Sampras, for example, makes a lot more money than Martina Hingis does. He's much, much better than she is. The day that Martina can return Pete's serve is the day she should get paid what he does. If there is an injustice in tennis, it's that women like Martina Hingis and Monica Seles make millions of dollars a year, even though there are hundreds of men at the collegiate level who could beat them handily. By the way, he's correct. That is true. So what part of this is so unacceptable? Uh, What part of this is so awful that Steve Moore should be chased out of the public square? I I need someone to... Walk me through this one. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is when you know when, when I look at the stuff that he's saying here, I go, hold on a second. So he's talking about you know women in athletics and women in sports, and he's got ideas. The, the, none of these ideas. He's not bigoted. He's not racist. He's not saying horrible stuff. He just has a more traditional view of a bunch of this. But this is like when people try to people get so upset about the WNBA being criticized. For example, look, I mean, the WNBA is an inferior product to the NBA. Meaning that when you watch the WNBA, it's just not interesting. Now, if you love the WNBA and you want to watch it, that's great. That's good for you. But 
there's a business here, and the business model is the more eyeballs, the more advertisers will pay for those eyeballs, so you make more money. People don't want to watch the WNBA. And we can, we can say that that's sexist or that's mean or whatever, but there's only so much, you know, passing and the occasional layup can do to get people excited. And people want to see feats of tremendous athletic skill and prowess. So I, I just, I just got to say, you know, th- this, is, this is what the left does. And, and until we finally stand up and say that we will not bow to this kind of pressure anymore, they're going to keep doing it. I mean, this is this is horrific that they're dragging this guy through the mud. You know, I've spoken to Steve Moore many times. He's a nice guy. He's a smart dude. He's a nice guy. He's going to be on the Federal Reserve Board. I mean, the guy's not going to be president of the United States. Everyone needs to calm down. Bashing women. He's not bashing women. He feels differently about women's professional sports than some other people do. You know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, he's, he's he should be entitled to his opinions. We're quickly heading to a place where to be a conservative means that you have a constant liability in your professional life. And to be a public figure of any kind and be a conservative just means that the left will draw something from your background to try and and crush you and ruin you and destroy your reputation. They'll they'll find some way to make it seem like you're a Neanderthal. You have these bad... I've heard people say Neanderthal. I don't know if any of you have had that. Maybe that's a British thing, but I've always said Neanderthal. Here's another one that Steve Moore got in trouble for. He wrote about the inequity of co-ed sports at very junior levels. Quote, no one seems to care much that co-ed sports is doing irreparable harm to the psyche of America's little boys. At this pre-puberty state of life, uh, girls tower over boys and typically have greater coordination. Last year, the Pele of my son's league was a kindergartner named Caitlin, secretariat in pigtails. During one game, Caitlin stampeded over Justin repeatedly, which, of course, did wonders for his fledgling self-esteem. If the girls are bad, the moms are worse. They berate the referees, taunt opposing players, nag the coach unmercifully to put their no-talent kid back in. Let me just say, you know, I think Steve Moore's wrong here for whatever that's worth. Uh, Because I coach soccer and uh, dads are just as bad as the moms. Uh, You know, it's, you know, there are great dads and great moms that have their kids play soccer. And there are lunatics that have their kids playing soccer, male and female. doesn't. So, I mean, I think Steve's wrong here. I'm not saying I agree with what he's written. I'm just saying he shouldn't be chased out of public life for saying, you know, the WNBA is boring. That, you know, women's tennis players shouldn't make as much as men's tennis players. That men need to make more money to feel like they have social value to women and to their families. And, you know, these are ideas. These are these are reasonable ideas to discuss. That doesn't mean that I agree with them. I'm sure he said some things here. I mean, I can't speak for everything Steve Moore's ever written, but I have not seen anything that is, oh, my gosh, this guy can't be on the Federal Reserve Board. But the left, they got it, folks. Another scalp. When do we do this? When do we get scalps from the left for this kind of stuff? We just don't. They play rough. We play gentle. It's not good. So, team, in the break, uh, producer Mike actually brought me up to speed with some some additional uh, sports gender inequity complaint stuff that I that I, I didn't even know about. That's worthy of uh, inclusion in this conversation. So, Mike, Mike, tell me what's what's going on with the women's World Cup team? Yeah, I saw that they were uh, going to boycott. The next so this is women's soccer, right? Correct. Women's soccer team. The women's soccer uh, uh, World Cup team. Re- 
an excellent team. I mean, won the gold medal. From what I see, all they do is win. But they're talking about boycotting next World Cup over pay discrimination. And I was like, like, I wish that they would realize this is not about you know women or or their gender. It's about advertising, and nobody watches. I, I mean, that's an article was about that. It was it? It wrote and it, it tied in the NCAA tournament, the women's basketball, and the NCAA tournament. How little people watch, and there's no advertising dollars. They can't broadcast it because nobody watches. Nobody watches point. because it's not a good spectator experience. See, look, exactly. I rode I rode crew in college. Crew is incredibly difficult, competitive. Uh, you know, people that are in really top boats are in, in phenomenal physical condition. And uh, crew is boring to watch on TV. I mean, it is, yeah. it is straight up boring. It's like watching people in canoes or something just float down a river. I mean, it's just not yeah. exciting. It's not a good spectator experience. All the rowing looks yeah. the same. All the boats look the same. Yeah. So it, it, if I if I were running and complaining about how, well, why didn't our crew team get all these sponsorships from Nike and everything else? Because it doesn't matter how good you are. Nobody wants to watch it. Right. And that's not the same thing as saying people don't respect it. Right. And there aren't people that, you know, that that love it and that, you know, engage in, you know, that sport out of all kinds of passion. And but I mean, dude, look, women's soccer as a spectator and somebody who actually likes soccer, which I know makes me sound not American. You know, women's soccer is like men's soccer, except at half speed. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Speaking no, of not- speaking of half speed, this is a quick story for you. I, one of my best friends is an NBA referee. He got his start refereeing WNBA games. And when he moved to the NBA, we were, we were talking about the difference between the guys and the girls' game. And he said that exactly about the speed. He's like, it's night and day. He's like, I could fall asleep on the court during a WNBA game and still do my job. Yes, and th- this is not to say that, you know, I- I'm not putting down this skill or ability that WNBA uh, players have. You know, I- I'm not saying that they're not, you know good at what they're doing or anything like that i'm just saying that from the enjoyment the spectator enjoyment perspective you know there's it's just not it's not a good product i mean now now some people love it and for those you don't have to send me if you love it that's great right i also think that and now i'm gonna get really no i'm not gonna start trashing different sports because i'm just gonna make everybody mad at me um okay here's one that i don't mind lacrosse Lacrosse is just not. It's lacrosse is fun to watch in person. I saw when I was in college. I'd watch lacrosse games, but lacrosse on TV. I'm sorry, it just looks like a bunch of guys are shaking sticks. You can't even see the ball. You don't know what's going on, and they're kind of just running around in circles the whole time. It's just not a good spectator experience. And as entertainment, it doesn't work well enough to make a lot of money. That's why there's not a huge professional lacrosse league. It's not about sexism. It's about the value that it creates via audience for the sale of product. And Mike, what was the, the WNBA said there was another, uh, so the World Cup thing, and then what's, oh yeah. no, with women's college basketball. Right, the NCAA too, tournament right? I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. had, uh, like every year there's like one art girl, and I, I followed the NCAA tournament, love watching it, and they always uh, intermix the women's game with the men's game. They play it on the off, off days, and nobody watches. And, you know, and you invariably get the article out there that says, why isn't, you know, why aren't the networks broadcasting the women's game during prime time? Because nobody watches. I, well, you know, what are we supposed to do about that? Are we supposed to make people watch? Oh, no, I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to engage in a kind of entertainment Marxism where we give people money that they did not earn through their ability 
because, you know, they feel gender discrimination or something. You know, I'm sorry. You know, by, by the way, I think that <clears throat> on the issue of women's tennis, I think women's tennis actually is a good product. And I think that there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to, especially for people who are like me, who are recreational players, uh, it's much less based on the serve. It's much less based on that one aspect of the game. So so I can make a case that like women's tennis is a is a very good spectator sport, actually. And I, I think there's a reason why, you know, Serena and Venus and these other players are international superstars. Um, but, you know, women's ice hockey, which I saw when I was in college, which is hockey, but again, at half speed and no checking, no physical contact, not fun. Okay. It's not fun to watch. So people can make up all these explanations and stories as much as they, as much as they want. But, you know, at the end of the day, the real issue here for me is whether you agree or disagree with me, these are just ideas that are, that should be in an open forum for discussion. People should be able to have these feelings about different sporting events, have these feelings about, uh, you know, pay gaps or pay equity and all this and not be chased out of the public square. But, you know, the, the left has a has a totalitarian instinct. You know, you, you criticize the WNBA at your peril. You know, you, you talk about men. And, and I also would note that they're the same. The same people that get so upset about that now want men to be able to play in women's sports because they are transgender. And they say, well, we should. I just saw earlier this week, I think there was a, a transgender athlete. I think this was uh, maybe hopefully it wasn't one of these things where I saw a news story that's old and just made it back into my feed, but set some Mike, would you check on this one for me? Set some kind of powerlifting, like three powerlifting records. It's because the person's genetically male. So the people that are upset at us for saying that, you know, men's sports, because it attracts a larger audience, generally speaking, than women's sports make more money. And that's just the market speaking. That's not sexism. Those that same intellectual left in this country Maybe calling them intellectual gives them too much credit. But that same ideological left runs around saying that now biological males should be able to compete, uh, compete in women's sports. You know, I had a conversation with a friend who's a Democrat recently about this. And I said, you know, what about MMA? I mean, what about mixed martial arts? I mean, now you're talking about somebody who has the testosterone, bone density, muscle, uh, muscle placement and, you know, uh, of a male fighting in combat hand to hand physical females you think that that's well you know we don't want people to feel not included really you think that you know if that were your daughter in the ring you know even granted you know she's an mma fighter she's trained but you would want some guy to be able to get in there and it's just nuts you're, you're right about that uh, transgender this was just yesterday and the, the headline is transgender weightlifter smashes women's record uh sparks backlash from olympians yeah and and, and by the way me saying that i have a problem with that in 10 years, if I want to be on the Fed Reserve, uh, you know, governors or whatever, I mean, if, if I'm going to be in public life in that kind of way, I'm sure that CNN, some little beta male at CNN, will will dredge that up from my past. Say, oh, look at him. He's opposed to transgender rights. It's a completely valid, completely valid point. You got men doing powerlifting records meant, meant for women. Right. But, you know, g give it 10 years and they'll say that I'm beyond the pale. I'm unacceptable. I mean, this is. This is the crazy world the left is forcing us all to live in now. It's just wrong. So as long as people can come into the country illegally and then get released into the country without fear of deportation or extended stays in detention, they're going to keep coming. Put these numbers in perspective, though. Is yep. this really a crisis at the border? Absolutely, this is a crisis. Uh, this sector alone is already over 177,000 apprehensions. That's more than we had in the entire fiscal year last year. 
But in addition to that, this sector leads the nation in marijuana seizures. It leads the nation in cocaine seizures. So while we have this policy crisis going on, there's also this border security crisis going on. A border security crisis keeps grinding on day after day. I cover it here on this show as much as as much as I can, as much as there's additional news and information to bring to you, because this is immensely important. Democrats don't want it to go away. They don't want it to stop. They don't want to change any of this. Their preference is the continuation of the status quo, as we have discussed many times. And this is just bad from all levels. They don't see any problems with it. The problems that I see with the current situation at our southern border are the lawlessness, the destruction of our sovereignty, the importation of vast quantities of drugs, the enormous cost of the taxpayer, the drain on assimilation and social cohesion from massive illegal immigrant communities that are growing and growing in the country that arrive here in violation of our laws and then demand more things from the people that are actually in this country legally because the left tells them that they are entitled to that. The cartels getting richer, the cartels uh, sweep and influence growing all the time, the cartels able to import more illegal drugs into our communities that are killing more of our fellow Americans. This is a mess. And yet they still, you had MSNBC's Gabe Gutierrez there saying, well, is this, is this a crisis? Yeah, dude, it's a crisis. If, the, if a crisis has meaning, this is, a, or if the word has any meaning, this is it. Just like if spying is a thing, Democrats spied on the Trump campaign. That's, you know, the FBI, the Hillary-funded dossier, all this stuff. I mean, there, there was spying on the Trump campaign, if the word spying has any meaning. There is a crisis at our border, if the word crisis has any meaning. And that's why now, as of uh, this week, the White House is asking for an additional $4.5 billion for uh, border security. And I'll just note that the border security they're talking about will be helpful, but keep in mind that they wouldn't give $4.5 billion for a wall. They said, we didn't have money for that. We didn't have money for that, but now we, we need $4.5 billion to surge more people, you know, more, more taxpayer dollars going to a system that is being intentionally exploited, that is being intentionally overwhelmed. And that one political party has no interest in addressing in a meaningful way. And the facilities and resources at the border have been pushed beyond the breaking point. That's This is all just fact. I mean, I've been down there. I've seen it. And now we're just going to start shoveling more and more money to the border without dealing with the problem. The problem is if people think they can come to this country in violation of our laws and receive benefits and no punishment, they're going to keep doing it that is the fundamental problem that that is the the core issue that all of this revolves around yes conducting these dna tests that will at least create some penalty or some some disincentive for people to be fake family units at the border i mean that will help somewhat but it's not going to do all that much uh federal court Ninth Circuit, usually, usually a judge in San Francisco or somewhere on the West Coast. They stop the Trump administration from taking exa- uh, actions clearly within executive authority to try to deal with this problem. And here's what I've got for you. I got a 
just start to think, how does this play out in, in 2020? I, I'm of two minds on this one. Because you know I've been I've been supporting Trump all along the way here. I've I've been supporting the president, doing everything that is in his power and then some to try and secure the border. I, I think that he understands the gravity of this issue. I think he is uh, serious about this in a way that other Republicans have not been. And he recognizes that this was a, a solemn promise that he made to the to his base, to his voters, people like you and me, back in the days of not just the general election, but the primary. This was really what separated Trump from the competition. His position on the border, which then you had some people, including Ted Cruz, get closer and closer to him, uh, because they knew that this is what this is what conservatives, the right rule of law, sovereignty, this is what it requires, a major effort to deal with the overflow of all these people at the border right now, the the intentional inundation of the U.S.-Mexico border. But how does it look for 2020 when the Trump administration has the least secure border and the worst situation when it comes to border security? of any administration for the last, really the last uh, almost 20 years now, at least the last 15 or so. I don't know, you tell me, what do you think about that? H- how, do you, how should we feel about this? I can make, and I have, all the arguments about how it's not Trump's fault, it's the system, and it's, but, you know, there was a majority in the Congress, there was, a, there was an opportunity to do something, and they did really nothing on immigration. I mean, there was the travel ban, which was a big fight with uh, the left and and the Trump administration, but that's not going to stop what's going on at our southern border. No one thought that was the case. Shouldn't there be at least some accountability for being in charge? I mean, if, if we voted for Trump to handle the situation at the border and he's been unable to do so, I'm not saying that means you start thinking about voting for the other guy. I'm just saying, you know, we need to turn the heat up a little bit here. I I worry a little bit that the president's base may be disaffected somewhat going into the, the election because, you know, the wall has not been built. All right, let's not pretend. Yes, some sections of the wall have been built up, but those were sections that it's upgrades. There's not new wall being built. And the wall is certainly not completed. New sections of the wall are not in a in a noticeable way under construction. It's really just upgrades to existing wall, which is important because a lot of places where we have existing wall, those are the most uh, critical areas for physical barrier. But the wall is not yet finished, and you know Trump Trump hasn't been able to solve this problem yet. Not even close. In fact, it's worse than it was under Obama. Which, if we're going to really talk about this, I think. We need to just put that in very straightforward terms. The only good thing that Trump has going for him on the border really right now is that the Democrats are completely insane. Uh, the Democrats are now an open borders party in all but name. They will not criticize illegal immigrants. They do not seem to have any problem with illegals flooding uh, into America across the U.S.-Mexico border. That They do everything they can to make the enforcement of our laws harder, to make the enforcement of our laws uh, less likely to occur in any meaningful sense. And this is just a power play for them. So the good news is that while Trump is imperfect, or rather he has not yet delivered on the border for his voters, uh, the 
other side of this is that the Democrats on immigration are just completely insane. Uh, they cannot be trusted. They do not speak the truth. And they do not have any real plan other than letting this continue to happen. And then they want to take money from you, the taxpayer, to assist these people, to set them up. And, and they're not going to get a lot of gratitude for this. Keep this in mind. Because the left is also telling those from the Northern Triangle countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador that their countries are in such bad shape because of what America has done. This is, this is now a common theme that you hear. It's all our fault, so we have to make up for it by giving people money, even those who violate our laws, to be here. All I'm saying to you, it ought to be a woman's choice. I'm not about to be as a male tell a woman what to do with her body. She has a right to make that decision herself, to rape the incest. Some kids are unwanted, so you kill them now, kill them later. You, you bring them in the world unwanted, unloved, you send them to the electric chair. So you kill them now, kill them later. That was, and I know it's a little hard to understand the audio quality there, but that was Alabama State Representative John Rogers, Democrat, of course, talking about uh, abortion. As you know, there's a lot of attention on some of these state abortion bills. Uh, some of these bills are really uh, shockingly, well, straightforward in what they're trying to accomplish, which is to make an abortion at all nine months of a pregnancy, including up to the moment of birth and even after birth in some cases, uh, legal, to make it legal, to, to terminate a pregnancy, to end a human life at any point in that process. And here you have Alabama State Representative John Rogers, who is just saying what is the the true position of the abortion lobby, which is that this really just comes down to, yes, a woman's choice, but also, you know, some kids are are just unwanted, and because they're unwanted, they should be able to be uh, terminated. He said, some kids are unwanted, quote, so you kill them now or you kill them later. You bring them into the world unloved, you send them to the electric chair, so you kill them now or you kill them later. This is really a a position that is is very similar to a kind of eugenics position, which is that we should eliminate the undesirables before they come into the world so that we don't have to deal with the social consequences. That is what an undesirable just being that they're not desired by the parents in this case. That's what Alabama State Representative John Rogers, who has been in public life as a politician, I believe, for decades, been around for a long time. He's not some new guy to all this. Um, but he, he let the mask slip here for a second for the pro-abortion left. Uh, he's saying what they all think and what the logic of their position really is. He's just not dressing it up in terms like just, oh, it's just about choice and women's body and, and all of these things. Um, that's not the approach that he took there. So it is a little jarring because we're used to hearing this always discussed in language that is meant to obscure what's really going on. I mean, that is a central, a central theme of all pro-choice propaganda is that you never really talk about what's happening. You never really talk about the process. And in fact, the movie Unplanned is so uh, horrific to the pro-abortion movement. I mean, it's, it's horrific to people who are pro-life, too, because of what it's depicting. But it's so unthinkable to the uh, pro-abortion pro movement because you're actually, from what I understand, I have not seen it yet, to be fair. I need to see it. Uh, but friends of mine have seen it and described to me that it is it is graphic in showing you the procedure. And that is enough to 
really upset people that are constantly advocating for that procedure, and not just for the right to the procedure, uh, but for the tax dollars that go toward it, uh, that you should be paying for this as well. You know, Alexandra DeSanctis is a, a staff writer at National Review, and she pulled together, just to give you a sense of how the media covers all this, she pulled together uh, of, of the times that media outlets have framed, quote, democratic extremism on abortion as conservatives pounce. And she wrote, wrote here that it is astonishing uh, how often this happens and how egregious it is. It's true. Whenever you have something like this, where you have Alabama State Representative John Rogers saying what abortion really is and what the abortion movement is all about, and people like me and others on the conservative side use this to highlight what the truth is of their position, that then immediately there's this whole machinery, this propaganda machinery that goes into uh, into high gear. And that's meant to obscure, distract, deflect, uh, lie about what has been said or what's really going on. You saw this when you had that guy, uh, I mean, the guy who wore the blackface back in high school. It's uh, Northam. There we go. Because there's a few of them, actually, in the Democrat Party. But when Northam talked about the procedure and making a baby comfortable and, and the doctor and the mother figuring out what to do after the an unsuccessful abortion procedure and, and there's a baby outside the womb. I mean, he described it and what he described is what Democrats want, but they acted like he didn't say what he said. And remember, he's an MD. He said he, he didn't really say that or, or Republicans, conservatives are misconstruing it. Oh, just like we misconstrued the Mueller report, right? Even though they have the whole Mueller report. None of this makes any sense to normal people, but Democrats are unfortunately psychologically these days, not a normal party. But Alexandra pulled together different uh, threads. And I just want to share some of these with you because it really does illustrate how entrenched abortion is the Democratic Party and how all mainstream journalism, uh, really without exception, is uh, that that is anything from center to left to, to far left is just on a mission to defend abortion at all costs. Uh, here's what the Washington Post, after Senate, after Senate Democrats voted down the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would have required medical care for infants who survive attempted abortions. Here's what the Washington Post headline was. Trump and Republicans are trying to paint Democrats as radical on abortion. Well, if they won't support a child receiving medical care after it has been delivered from the womb. I don't think that they're trying to paint them as radicals. I think they are radicals. But here's Politico. After Senate Democrats defeated the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, a bill that did not limit abortion in any way, Politico writes, Senate defeats anti-abortion bill as GOP tries to jam Dems. Ooh, they're the bad guys. They're trying to jam them. You see, they're, they're the aggressors here. Here's more from Politico, in which Republicans are both pounding and seizing after Senate Democrats defeated a bill to require medical care for infants born alive after attempted abortions. Republicans pound abortion infanticide message. Democrats say the GOP arguments are inflammatory and inaccurate, but Republicans are already seizing on the issue in the, their 2020 strategy. That's right. Uh, seizing on the Republicans seize Republicans pounce 
Anytime Democrats look bad, the focus in the media, this is a classic tactic of the mainstream media's propaganda. The focus has to shift right away to what the Republicans are doing in response and how they're either overreaching, pouncing, seizing, all these th- exploiting is really the term that they're often looking for. You know, Republicans exploit this vulnerability in the Democrat message. Alexander DeSanctis goes on here with this very interesting list. Here's the New York Times after Democratic lawmakers in New York and Virginia pushed bills to allow abortion after viability in the last three months of pregnancy. Here's the headline, folks. Trump-Pence lead GOP seizure of late-term abortion as a potential 2020 issue. Then she has, here's Politico after Senate Democrats defeated the Born Alive Protection uh, Survivors Protection Act, not only inexplicably putting attempted abortion in scare quotes, but also noting that Republicans were trying to squeeze Democrats. Politico writes, the Senate rejected a bill making it a felony for a doctor to harm or neglect an infant who survives a, quote, attempted abortion, end quote, part of a Republican effort to squeeze Democrats ahead of the 2020 campaign. Then she goes on. Conservative seize on Alabama Democrat uh, state Democrat abortion comments. And then uh, this is Washington Post. Abortion bill draws GOP outrage against Democrat Governor Northam, Democratic legislatures. See, the, the problem is always the Republican response as far as the media is concerned. The problem is always Republicans going too far, overreaching, pouncing, seizing. Just like when we talk about this Alabama State Rep. John Rogers. See, I think the problem is that Democrats have embraced a, a party of death that not just legalizes, but really does celebrate as some kind of right, R-I-T-E, the uh, murder and, and sacrifice of infants for a political platform. And that is what is going on here. And we need not speak around the subject. I think it better to be blunt no matter what they say about us seizing on it. They told me that I was, I I wanted too much for myself. I should dream a little smaller. And let me tell you, that will happen to you again and again and again. There will be people in your life who will tell you not to dream too big. Because they don't want their haters. (laughs) And they don't want any more for you, you than they think you should deserve. So in those moments, in those moments, y'all, because they will happen, they've happened to me, they've happened to my husband, where people say, you don't belong, this isn't for you. So in those times, because they will come up, you have to ask yourselves whether you're gonna believe the haters or whether you're gonna believe the own truth of your story. That's Michelle Obama who was giving a, what, a commencement address there, I think, or something, or not a comment, what, a graduation address. Commencement's the beginning, graduation's the end. Or, or I don't know what she was giving. It was a speech she gave yesterday. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I just find this, uh, maybe she's going for rhetorical flourish here, but her quote, they told me that I wanted too much for myself. I should dream a little smaller. Did anyone ever really tell her that? I, I can't prove that that's not true, but... That doesn't ring true with me. Has anyone ever told you, dream smaller for yourself? (laughs) I don't know. Seems like kind of a strange thing to say. Um, And, you know, Michelle Obama is somebody who I I think the adoration that the media holds for Michelle Obama is probably greater than any other human being in the country, really. 
I think she's probably the single favorite person for a majority of political journalists in America. I mean, second, I mean, or rather the only person that's more beloved than Obama, I think, is, is Michelle Obama. Um, but, you know, there, there was always a, a tone that Michelle Obama would strike on certain issues that I found off-putting. Of course, when she said that for the first time in her adult life, she was proud of her country when her husband won. That's a very strange thing for a first lady to say. And if you read her uh, thesis from Princeton University, one, I mean, she obviously wasn't a very good writer or, or a particularly strong student. So you start with that. I mean, I, I've read the thesis. It's shockingly uh, inarticulate and poorly written. Uh, and it's about how being a black student at Princeton means that you are constantly being unfairly treated and undermined. And uh, it was a very much a victimology treatise but Michelle Obama is still considered, if you, if you ever criticize her, you are going to feel the wrath of the mainstream media in ways that you cannot really imagine. Uh, they are completely and utterly enamored with her. And I, I do believe that we're going to be hearing more from the Obamas going into the 2020 election than we did in the midterms, that's for sure. And speaking of people the media are enamored with, Alexandria... Ocasio-Cortez is a person that in many ways exemplifies the woke left, which is all emotion, no substance, all social justice, not a lot of reading of books. And this is just kind of a funny moment. She's at a, at a garden. Producer Mike, what is going on here? She's she's in a yeah, garden. Yeah, I think she's at her uh, garden uh, where she lives, I believe. I'm not 100% sure where she in is. In D.C. here somewhere? Yeah. yeah. So she just does these random social media videos, right? That's what this is all. She just creates these little videos, and then we're all supposed to go, ooh, ah, look at her. She's so social media savvy. Whatever. Here's Ocasio-Cortez getting all excited over her garden, play 19. Oh, my God, you guys. I just checked on my community garden slot, and I was so nervous because I was I was in New York for two weeks in recess. Look. Oh my God, look at this. It like, look at the collard greens. They're huge. Look at the dahlias. Oh my God, I don't have to trim all of these back for smoothies. I am shook. Look, like, honestly, gardening, food that comes out of dirt, like, it's magic. <laughs> or or it's just what human beings have been doing tens of thousands of years now. It's, it's agriculture. That's right. Plants, they grow. They turn into food. This is the thing that happens. Uh, like, this isn't important stuff, but I just think it's kind of funny. Well, it was, this you is you a, think she loses her mind when the sun comes, up, sun comes up every morning? She's like, oh, my gosh. Like, the sun is, like, coming yeah. up. It's amazing. Like... <laughs> Look at it so bright. It like hurts your eyes when you look at it, but I just love it. It's so warm. Yeah, Mike, I don't know, man. They they really they really love Ocasio-Cortez and and I keep wondering when people are going to wake up and understand that she's a false idol for the left, but I guess all the idols of the left are kind of false. Not somebody that I find uh, impressive in the least, but probably the most of all Democrats, she is more able to uh, shift the national media narrative than anyone else. I mean, she is uh, completely 
with one tweet, with one statement, she can create a, a news story that everyone will seize on. And, and of course, the 90 percent of the dem of the media that are Democrats will find some way to make it sound like she's brilliant. She's wonderful. And then when the conservative media is like, uh, hold on a second, she's kind of uh, an imbecile. There's, why are you obsessed with her? Well, why do you guys all run stories on her all the time? But yeah, gardening. That's a thing that works. You can plant things in the ground. It turns into food. Amazing. It's like magic. Or it's like plants and agriculture. It's cl close enough. But look, she was having a nice time. You know, you got to... There's a little bit of poking fun. And then we also could say she's allowed to have fun, too. She's gardening. Whatever. Fine. She likes to make put it in her smoothies. I don't really drink smoothies because smoothies are... Uh, generally very high in sugar because to make a smoothie taste good you have to put the good juice in it and the good juice like apple juice or um, pineapple juice things like that that really sweeten it up you might as well just drink soda speaking of which check out my smooth transition here in the third hour of the show that's right speaking of which drinking producer mike did you know this drinking diet soda according to the new york post today studies have come out that uh Drinking diet soda means you are more likely to gain weight. This does not surprise me at all. There's no, ain't no such thing as a free lunch, including calorie-free stuff that you drink with lunch. It's not good for you. I do not like these things. I do not like this fake sweetener stuff. If you're going to have the sweet taste, have sugar. Because what ends up happening, according to this new study, it's actually published in Pediatric Obesity. And it shows that kids and teenagers who drink Diet Coke and other diet beverages ate an extra 200 calories a day because their body thinks they're taking in calories that they're not taking, or rather their, their body uh, essentially compensates for what the processes are of taking in this. I can't really, really explain it. No one really knows. But they eat too much, or they eat more than they should because they're drinking the diet sodas. Um. The researchers focused on those kids drinking sodas packed with low-calorie sweeteners. They found youngsters who drank diet drinks consumed extra calories and also took in more calories from added sugars in food and drinks compared to water drinkers. Basically, drink water. People should be drinking water, and I mean, I'll throw coffee in there too. But water, coffee, tea, that's what you should drink. Booze when you want to celebrate. You know, a little wine with a great steak or a beer with a great burger or whatever, but... People should be drinking water. The entire uh, sweetened beverage industry is something that I think is going bye-bye sooner than later. All right, roll call's coming up. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton roll call time. I tell you, I had a I had lunch today with a, with a friend of mine who was uh, coming into D.C. She actually was getting a tour from a friend in the White House who works in the White House. She said, hey, can we grab lunch? And it was just kind of fun because we did the we did the math on it. Uh, she was the first and we've been we've been friends now for um, gosh, I said we did the math and now I'm forgetting uh, about. 24 years we've been friends for 24 years um and we 
uh, she was the first person, first girl who I ever asked for a phone number from. And I was in the sixth grade at the time. Or maybe it was the fifth grade. Um, she's one of my oldest friends, and we had lunch today. It was kind of funny because now I, I have some friends who I, I count our, our friendship no longer in years but in decades. That's how it goes. Uh, but she's a, she's a good buddy, and she's getting a personal tour of the White House. And it was just kind of funny to think about how, man, 13-year-old Buck feels like a very long time ago. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let me get to your thoughts here and uh first up we have lowell lowell writes i feel like we have switched from wag the dog to wag the swamp two months ago trump signed an extension on the budget that restricted his ability to build the wall giving the local landowners the ability to block the wall he didn't have to sign he could have at the time just given an extension now the Mueller report is done and for no apparent reason he meets with schumer and pelosi and signs a $2 trillion infrastructure deal. Please, for the love of God, someone please explain to me what's going on here. Shields high. Uh, you know, the, the bureaucracy is very powerful, my friend. I mean, this, this is a real thing. The bureaucracy has its own will, has its own desires. As I have often said, the bureaucracy is self-aware. Uh, the bureaucracy is like Skynet in the Terminator movies. It advocates for its own interests it's no longer concerned with what its initial task uh, that it was set up to do may be so yes it's not surprising to me that there are all these checks and and well checks and balances are good but this is the checks on power that are not supposed to be there although i i do try to take some comfort in the safety and security of gridlock right that our, our government not being able to do that much in some ways is probably for the best just think about, would you really want to have Ocasio-Cortez or Amy Klobuchar or Nancy Pelosi? You want them to have a blank slate to do whatever they want to do and affect your life however they want to affect it? Nope. That's why a limited government is so important. Part of a limited government is a government that is not just not allowed to do certain things, but is incapable of doing certain things. And that's why the system that we have with really oppositional aspects of government or or people checks and balances is a better way of saying it so i'll just say that checks and balances in place that's why it's so important um but it's gotten a little out of control i mean to to the point being made here by lowell that you have one federal judge that now can effectively overrule whatever it is the president tries to do at any point in time that's just that's just excessive that's just too much that's not what the and that's not what the system is supposed to have in place and also in the era of Trump, there are a lot of people who feel like the old rules, and I mean constitutional and statutory rules, no longer apply. Anything to take Trump down, anything to stop Trump, anything to prevent the implementation of Trump's um, agenda is justified in the eyes of many people in the resistance. It's just the truth. Graham writes, I'm assuming you plan to give this pressing national security story all the coverage it richly deserves uh and this is about a beluga whale that is apparently part of some russian spy program the reason the reason they know this is that it had a harness on with letters from the cyrillic alphabet written on it so people think that maybe there's something with the beluga whales getting trained to do recon or something i don't know 
Yeah, I saw this story. I think we actually talked about it on Rising. We, these days we do a fair amount of funky stories on Rising. That's become a, a thing that we do. So, yeah, let's, I'll check this one out. In fact, it was a Russian disinformation, or no, not disinformation, a Swedish counter-propaganda operation of dropping bears behind enemy lines in Russia from the sky, freedom bears that, that brought us commie bear a long time ago. And now some of you are saying, Buck, commie bear, where have I heard that before? I know. I have not yet forgotten. It is time for the bear to come back. And I've been saying it for a long time. So we'll have to make that happen. Chuck, friends with Buck. The whole collusion hoax was always just a pretext to an obstruction charge by the Dems. They thought that if they turned the screws hard enough on the president, he would take action that could be construed as obstruction and therefore impeachable. Am I in the ballpark? Chuck, yes. The the collusion narrative, uh, as they knew very early on that they weren't going to be able to make that stick. And so the real effort was going to be what we see now, which is to make it about obstruction. Oh, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Well, there was no crime. And in fact, obstruction as a charge does not work either because there was no cover-up either. W where is the obstruction? How did Trump obstruct an investigation that at any point in time he could have just ended? You're going to tell me he obstructed something when he could have ended it? You know, this is like saying that, you know, I, I, I obstructed a dinner party. Well, you know, I'm the chef. I cooked all the food. If I didn't want the dinner party to happen, I could have just not cooked the food. So someone explain that one to me. Uh, that analogy kind of held up. That worked. Kevin writes, hey, Buck, I'm listening to Wednesday's podcast. Have to say you're throwing too many softball movie quotes out there. Clear and present danger is the reference to the Potomac two-step. Uh, you are correct, sir. Um, that's my, my favorite. Uh, that's probably my favorite scene. Um, in the whole thing where he where he gets in there and he says, you know, old Jack, you'll hold this in your back pocket, the old Potomac two-step. That guy is great in the role of president. He really does a good job. Whatever, I don't know who that actor is from Clear and Present Danger, but he does a really, really good job. Sorry, Mr. President, I don't dance. I, you know, I think in his day, you can make, make an argument that Harrison Ford was really the great, you know, who, who's really at the top of the list for the greatest leading male movie stars of, well, of the movie generation, really, which is what we have had now. I would say you've got uh, Tom Cruise there. I know I'm not, I'm not really a Tom Cruise fan, but he's got to be in the conversation. You've got to put Harrison Ford up there. You've, I, I think you can make a case for, uh, either Will Smith or Denzel Washington. I think you could... Dan, uh, Donald Moffat was the president there. Jack, the old Potomac two-step. Uh, but that's a great... Clear and Present Danger, I think, is a, is a better movie than Patriot Games, although there's something kind of eerie and, and gritty about Patriot Games. You know, that reminds me, I want to go back and read some of the Clancy classics, man. That guy was That guy was the man back in the day. Carla writes, the radio show has been exceptional this week. You are on fire and fuego. Thank you for what you do. Carla, thank you for the words of encouragement. I've, I've really been putting it, putting it out there this week, you know, going hard on the show. And I appreciate that you appreciate it and everyone else listening. And I hope that it spurs some of you on to say, hey, I like this Buck Sexton guy. I'm going to tell somebody to download his podcast so that more, more people listen to the show. So 
he'll also keep having a show that grows. Um, but yes, no, this has been a good week for good week for the news cycle. A lot to talk about. I will say I've slowed down a little bit today. I just kind of hit a wall. I'm just some days, you know, you just haven't gotten enough sleep for three or four days. And today was one of those days for me. I just was like, oh, man. But you cannot you cannot stop when the when the G Watts hot, as a guy used to tell me, the global war on terrorism. And you cannot stop when the Freedom Hut is hot. So the Freedom Hut's hot this week. Uh, David, right? Buck, beards high. I mean, shields high. You look great, brother. SI's swimsuit issue going Sharia has my jaw on the floor. I'm half expecting a pic with a beach cop from the 1920s. They're measuring her burkini to make sure it doesn't violate the law. Blame the woman that is Islamic dress codes proves that social justice and its feminist wing have nothing to do with liberty and progress, but standing up for anything that isn't Christian, no matter how hypocritical. The feminists are on the left. Uh, it is a leftist ideology, and Islam is also considered a protected uh, religious category in this country by the left because they think of it as a non-white, non-Christian religion, even though there are plenty of white people who are Muslims, but they still think of it as a predominantly non-white religion, and so they give it special consideration. Uh, they think that it deserves special treatment. So there you have it. Uh, let's get a quick pause here we'll come back we'll finish up some more roll call on the flip side i have more for you more of your thoughts uh facebook.com slash buck sexton we will be right back laurel next up here on a roll call hey buck listening to the show from wednesday night have a question on Mueller's scope i think andrew mccarthy is very smart but he keeps referring to obstruction as being Mueller's main objective in his investigation as a fellow swamp dweller, I have had interesting conversations, including one with somebody reputable who pointed out that obstruction is nowhere in the letter authorizing the special counsel. It is inferred in the sections about any matter arising from the investigation. Um, Laurel, I'd have to check. I, I sounds like you're probably correct on this one, but I'm sure Andy would say, right, an obstruction is a matter arising from the investigation. Now, I think it's not happenstance that it's a matter arising from the investigation. I think that that was the plan all along, but uh, I see your point. Also, Laura writes, I'm with you on the burkini. No, just no. I work way too hard for summer to wear that. And as for playlists, I have a ton, but what kind of music and what kind of workouts? You know, I'm just looking for like, see, here's the problem. Whenever I ask for someone to give me workout music, they're like, I've got great music, ACDC and Eye of the Tiger and... Guys, I've got all that covered, all right? I'm looking for stuff that's, like, a little more current. I don't want stuff from the 70s to work out to, per se. And everyone's like, oh, classic rock. I, I, I got all the classic rock already. I'm looking for music from the last, you know, five to ten years that will get you psyched up for a workout. Mostly weightlifting. Not, I don't really do cardio. I know, I probably should. People will both do cardio. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. You do your own cardio. I do cardio, just not necessarily in the gym. Walking to the grocery store. Get your mind out of the gutter. Come on, producer Mike. You know, you know how I roll. David writes, hey, Buck, your movie quote was clear and present danger. Yeah, David, you're correct. It was clear and present danger. Good job. Sean, afternoon, Buck. Just a quick quip. The beard has turned your appearance into that of an Irish pirate. Shields high, matey. Well, it is. I do got a. I got a big red beard now, so I'm kind of. I'm getting used to it. You know, I'm sort of leaning into this beard thing. 
Beardy McBeard Beard. James, here's a good question for you. A friend and I were trying to find out if it is constitutional for a sitting senator who is running for president to be able to take part in the Russian investigation or any other senator or congressperson who is running for president. We tried to look online for info, but no luck. Shields High from WGY up in Cobleskill, New York. Uh, so you're asking me if a sitting senator can take part in the Russian investigation. Uh, yeah, James, I don't think there's any prohibition on a member of Congress conducting any of their constitutionally mandated duties, including oversight, just because they're also going to be running for president. Now, is there a conflict of interest there? Of course, but... There are plenty of people that hold elected office that then run for something else. And I'm not aware of any prohibition on that. But then again, one of the fun things about this show is that I learn new things from all of you all the time. So if there's a legal or constitutional scholar out there who wants to tell me that I'm way off on this one. Samsonite, I was way off. Is anyone going to get that one? We'll see. Uh, please do write in. Let me know. Mike, another from WGY land in upstate New York. For some odd reason, I can't figure out how to post on your page. So I message you here, but it seems the volume on your podcast is very low. I can barely hear you. Uh, yo, what's going on with that? Do we know? Producer Mike, is this a real thing? Is our podcast not, you know, Mark, do we have a problem with our podcast volume? Has that been happening? I don't know. People keep complaining about this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it is, um, but we'll look into it for sure. Ah, oh, man. Killing me here. Producer Mike, what do you do for cardio? And remember, it's a family show. Yeah, I walk my dog. That's right. How's Cash doing? He's doing good. Yeah? He Actually, he runs me. He's got way more energy than I do, so I usually wind up. I'm like the guy uh, in the cartoon who's like, uh, the dog's running and he's pulling his owner along. That's me with Cash. Hmm. I got you. Kevin writes, Buck, love the show and the beard. Very on point tonight about Barr and the moronic liberals trying to attack his character. It was an absolute disgrace. Had my blood boiling. I don't have a question, but I have a request. Can you do more bro Cuomo, do you even lift bro impressions? Those always have me rolling and cheer me up. Shields high and go team Buck, Kevin. For you, Kevin? Of course, man. Do you even lift bro? Do you even know who my brother is? He's the governor of New York. Look at these pecs. Yeah, we can do more of that for you. We can make that happen. Uh, let's see here. Scott. Hello, Scott. Is it just me or conservatives constantly having to defend against arguments we're not making? I wish I could remember the article that prompted this question, but I'm reminded of the Parks and Rec episode in season seven where Leslie goes on a tirade about all the questions she's tired of hearing female politicians asked. Every time I'm left wondering... Who has seriously asked any of these questions in the last 40 years? Shields high. Uh, Scott, people love to just create straw men and then tear them down. It's, uh, it makes you feel big and tough and strong and all that stuff. So, I mean, I, I hear you on all that. Um, yep. I, I don't know about these questions that Leslie Nope was asked. I'd have to go back and watch that episode again. But Parks and Rec's a great show. A little liberal, but Ron Swanson kind of balances it out. So, And just skip season one. Just go right to season two. All right, team, that is going to be it from the Freedom Hut for this wonderful episode of the Buck Sexton Show. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, I'm sure that at least some of you did, so that's always good news. Tomorrow's a Freestyle Friday, already planning a fantastic show. So, as is my custom, I will be talking to you then, coast to uh, coast, speak English, Buck, across the country, shields high.